of knowing. All right, man. Welcome to Pro Triple Seven Radio. This is episode 513. Jason Lingren is with me and David Avocado Wolf returns. You can use the search function under the full episodes link. If you mouse over full episodes, a search option will come up. There's two sides. On the right side, you can use names. On the other side, numbers and keywords. Uh, He's been on a number of times. Today, uh, we're going to cover an hour one electroculture, which is actually quite popular right now online. You see a lot of people doing versions of it and experimenting with it. I'm actually doing versions of it with the plants in my yard. And in hour two, we're going to get into parasites. Welcome, Jason. And a hot and lovely good morning. It is overcast and starting to be sticky wet here in Rhode Island. But uh, welcome, David. I'm assuming you're in Texas. No, I am not. I'm in Ontario, Canada at the moment. We just went through a massive deluge following the fires up here which were heavily geoengineered, as our eyes could tell from the massive chemtrailing that was going on above those clouds when the fires were first kicking off a few days ago. Global warming, it's going to kill us all. Or, or maybe <laughs> maybe that's not, they don't even use that moniker anymore. Now I think the big one is climate change, right? Yes, because then you can that's say it. it's anything you want it to be. Well, plus it's CC, so you get your 33 in there, don't you? Well, climate change is the new arson. So, David, let's let's catch up. Uh, what's new before we jump into electroculture? Is there anything new you want to talk about or you want to just jump into electroculture? Well, I, I finally made it to the Great Pyramids and did all of Egypt with a good friend of mine, my friend Camilla, who's a very interesting person from the UK, a biodynamic farmer. She has a biodynamic restaurant in London. And we became very good friends over the pandemic just online. And uh, we met through Woody Harrelson who's an old friend of mine. And, and she, she was like, you know, we just really took a liking to each other. And we've been uh, in communication through, you know, over the years, over the, you know, through all the chaos that's been going on. And we finally went to Egypt because she's Egyptian. What an incredible thing. My God, was it incredible. And I want to just point out a couple of highlights. The obelisk at Karnak, 232 tons, 73 feet high is the most significant single monument I've ever seen in my life. That was a profound one. The Great Pyramid going, we, we did the Great Pyramid last and at the end of it all, after seeing all the temples, 10 days in Egypt, and we got the entire temple to ourselves, the entire pyramid to ourselves for two hours during the, the lunar eclipse. That was the May 5th, 6th lunar eclipse. That was so insanely profound. It actually exceeded my expectations, which was a shocker, I have to say. It exceeded my expectations. When we finally got into the sarcophagus in the king's chamber, after being in the, in the pyramid for almost two hours, it was like, you know, taking toad, acid, mushrooms, and five other psychedelics all at the same time. And then, then I, I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. It was, it was very, very psychedelic, surprisingly, I have to say. And overall, I'd say the Egypt trip was one of the most profound highlights of my entire life. So I noticed you called it a sarcophagus, but I'm guessing you don't accept the uh, the mainstream tale that clearly that edifice was built to put a a ruler in. Right. I mean, obviously, that's there's never been a mummy found in any pyramid in Egypt. That's that's a complete myth. So no, I don't accept any of that stuff. I mean, I'm more in the Christopher Dunn camp of the Giza pyramid power plant that these were power generating structures. I did notice something. The first moments we got into the pyramid, you go down, 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 all the way to the where the well is. There's water that comes up in the middle of the Great Pyramid at the bottom in the middle. Did it, did you guys know that? I, I'm, I've actually looked at it extensively, so I am aware of that. I was unaware of that particular aspect, but it reminded me a lot of star forts that I'd been in. Like right in the center of every star fort is a well where the water wells up. And so I just, this, this connection between the Atlantean construction and star forts has been really strong in my experience. I mean, they're connected for sure. So I kind of look at the old star forts all around the world and the ones I've been to as old Atlantean ruins, like pre-flood ruins. That's how I look at them. So there's a few things about that. I currently accept that what's most likely and based on the things I've been told by people who probably have access to information way more than I ever will in my lifetime is that that's part of a world network, one of the major nodes where it's sitting. But uh, I was actually told by someone who knows things at a higher level, or at least what the muckety mucks in the world think is correct. uh, It's claimed it took a hundred years to build in the upper circles. That's what they accept is true. 
I did have a very interesting experience. We ran into a guy in Delphi. I went to Greece afterwards. Delphi also is megalithic. At the bottom of Delphi, you'll see the same construction as you see in Karnak, as you see in Cusco, Peru, as you see in Easter Island, and as you see in many other megalithic places, even including Lebanon and even in Jerusalem, the old city of Jerusalem. Underneath it all, it's that megalithic construction. Anyway, I met a guy there who's, who's a crane operator. He moves 200 ton, they call them picks. So it's like a 200 ton girder, 200 tons. And he's pulling and picking those all day long. He showed me on his phone and he said, look, we have the technology now to construct the Great Pyramid or any of these things, maybe not to design it, but we could copy it today using 3D printing. And uh, and, and so we'd laser cut the rocks or water jet, sorry, water jet cut the rocks. He corrected me on that. He's like, we use water jets. And and then he could pick it and they could assemble it with the cranes they have today. He's gearing up for a job where he's going to be picking 500 ton girders. Well, what's the max? Did he tell you what the max that can be lifted by a crane? It's it's thousands of tons. Thousands. Because really? I didn't know. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. And he showed me that. And I was like, wow, you got to be kidding me. So he was showing me cranes that could lift entire tankers out of the water. Hmm. So I, I guess what I have always kind of assumed is correct is that cymatics played a key role back in that time. And we do have the edge of information that came out of Tibet, probably one of the most modern accounts. There was a guy, uh, I think he actually filmed it and brought it back to uh, England, but they were moving large, large rocks, 100 or 200 feet up a cliff face. Some of them broke, but they were doing it with sound in the way that I once read in a Tibetan manuscript, uh, which I wish I still had. But I wanted to back up before we jump into the electroculture on that big honking monolith of a uh, pillar that you were describing. Is there hieroglyphics carved on that one? Yes, there are. It looks like it was a, it was later. It was done. My, my personal take on that particular monument, again, the obelisk at Karnak, is that the dynastic Egyptians later carved the hieroglyphs into it. It's very pro. I mean, I it, what's crazy about that monument is you can climb up on it. You could touch it. You could sit on it. You could do whatever. I mean, you obviously can't climb straight up the, the side of it. It's, it's 73 feet straight up. But you could touch it. You could stand on it. You can do whatever you want. And so I looked at them very closely, photographed them very closely. The Egyptian dynastic imprint of their hieroglyphics on it is very, very well done. I mean, you know, it really, it was like, is this laser done? Interestingly, and by the way, in reviewing the hieroglyphics there in Egypt, you know, you, the hieroglyphics read like memes, you know, like memes that we like to see on the internet. Like, you know, this that was a great meme where it, it kind of, it enlightens meaning in your consciousness based on the symbols that are there. So for example, I saw mushrooms with beehives carved into the mushrooms with the netters laid out next to them, the netters was the name of their pantheon. So the Egyptian deities like Osiris and Isis and all, you know, the, the Set and Sekhmet and all that, they're then carved next to that. So if you read that hieroglyph literally, it actually says, when you consume these mushrooms in honey, you'll meet the gods. I saw that and that was there right on one of the temples. All right. Well, I don't want to use too much time. The thing about Egypt is so many people have so many strong opinions. You know, I always wondered what someone like Dr. Zahi Mayas actually had access to. It's pretty clear that they don't grant access, that they hide. And what I've noticed is that certain uh, educational facilities are the ones that seem to be allowed in. A lot of them are from other countries, not this country, but let's, let's shift. We could easily do a whole episode talking about Egypt because from my point of view, we've never been told basically a true thing about Egypt. That's my point of view, but let's jump into electroculture. It's becoming very, very big online and correct me if I'm wrong, but one of the most basic applications that anyone could do is you take a piece of copper wire, you coil it in a little spiral, and you have a straight part of the wire on one end and the other, and you stick it in the ground next to a plant. As far as I know, that is the most basic version of electroculture. Would you, do you think that's an accurate statement? Yes, I think it's an accurate statement. And, and by the way, I think the reason why we got sidelined on the Egyptians was because 
they're very likely the progenitors of electroculture because they were really into copper. Copper was their main metal. And copper, by the way, is associated with Venus. And I've got some interesting information on the planets and the metals that we can get into with electroculture because I've noticed that, that Venusian plants, plants that their stipule, this is a Steiner thing. Steiner points out that the stipule of the plant, which is the gland that occurs where the, where the plant or tree or, or bush branches, there's a gland kind of in the armpit of that branching. And for example, the cannabis plant puts out two little prongs there. Many different cacti put out two uh, particular um, thorns there. I'm growing, for example, Rabinia pseudoacacia or black locust. That puts out two thorns. And because that's that's those two thorns, that type of stipule is associated with the planet Venus, I've noticed that the copper electroculture works better with those plants, the Venusian plants. Oh, okay. I get what you're saying. So it's almost like two little electrodes built in, but let's, let's do this. Let's just quickly describe what electroculture is and how it works. So people have an idea in their mind. And I will say this, you can go on YouTube right now. There are tons of videos where people took like, I don't know, tomatoes or cucumbers or something. And they did the most basic thing that I just described. And then they have some, they didn't. And clearly the plants near the little copper windings uh, are growing bigger, more fruit, bigger fruit. But what is actually going on? This is about energy from the atmosphere, right? That's what's going on. Yeah, there's an energy exchange. So I'm I'm, I'm referencing um, Baron von, I think it was Rickenbach was his name way back in the 1840s and his wonderful book that he wrote on odic light and ode energy and that energies can be conducted down copper wires and those energies could be electromagnetic. So they could be electrical or magnetic. But they could also be other things that we don't have names for. So the idea is, is that you're linking up the heavens and the earth with a spiral copper wire that's sticking in the ground. And then the other half is, or usually have more of the antenna or the wand or the mast, more of it, two thirds, sometimes even three quarters or more sticking out of the ground as kind of a cosmic antenna to pick up not only the, the electrons in the atmosphere, and certainly copper is an electron attractor. That's a known thing for hundreds of years but other things as well. So for example, it's known in electroculture that if you have a copper mast in the ground with your, with, say with, I had an anacotia tree in Texas, so I'll just talk about that one, that the ground actually, when it's really cold outside in a, a cold weather event, like we have once a year in Texas, that will cause the ground around the roots and around that copper mast to warm up. And when it's too warm in the atmosphere, let's say middle of summer, real hot spell, 105 degrees, it's 90% humidity, that copper mast in the ground will call the, cause the roots to cool. It'll create more of an extreme between the two that's more comfortable for the plant. So it improves growth in that way. And that's just one of the properties of a copper mast or electroculture mast. So let's just, I know people will probably go look up the videos, which is a good thing. So for people listening who are growing some vegetables or even flowers or something that they like to grow, is the way that I described what you would recommend as the most basic way, because I see other people having really tall poles where they wind the copper up wood, they stick that in the ground. So the copper's on a wooden mast. And then there's all these little pieces of copper, like a a hairbrush antenna on the top. And then another thing I see is in a garden, they're running a copper wire down the row and they have the little coils at both ends. So what would you estimate is the most effective way for people to actually get in on this? And by the way, I'll say this, this is not poppycock. This freaking works. It's like vinegar and chemtrails. It works. Yeah. Yeah. It's, there's something going on. And by the way, I've seen video, a friend of mine sent me video of they're laying chemtrails right over his farm and he's got all kinds of electroculture all over his farm. And there's literally a hole right over his farm. So could, could it affect the atmosphere? It certainly could. We're connecting the heavens and the earth. And if we remember the great teaching of the Emerald Tablet, connect the heavens and the earth together uniquely, then there you will find the magic. And that's kind of what electroculture is doing. So let's get to first the gauge of the wire. If you go and look for copper wire out there, you don't want the copper wire that's used for your electricity because it's sealed in, in plastic and rubber. And that doesn't work as well, or even work at all. By the way, if you so use, you want say, naked, you want naked copper wire. Yep, 
you want naked copper wire and you want just generally to play around with it, get 16 gauge copper wire. The higher the number, the smaller the wire. So if you get 20 gauge, it's really thin. 16 gauge is a little thicker, real easy to work with. So 16 gauge is easy to buy on the internet or buy down at your local hardware store, your local art supply like Michael's. And then if you go to down like six gauge wire, that's probably what you've seen, Crow, is that like they'll have a big giant pole with six gauge wire going around it. And that's more for the big trees. That's more for the big orchard application. So the general rule that we've been working out over the last year is that the smaller that wire or the higher the gauge, the smaller the plant that it's useful for. The bigger the wire, if you go to like six gauge, big, thick ply, and you're using, you know, huge, I don't know, 10 foot tall stakes in the ground, that's for an orchard. That would be something in that context. Now, people are doing various things. I've done them too, where let's say I took a six gauge wire. The six gauge is kind of nice because it's actually, I think, six wires all wrapped up with each other. So at the top of it, if you're using like for a tree, you know, I want the six gauge in there, I can take the top and fray it. So I can fray those six wires that are wrapped around each other in the six gauge and create like a, you know, a little, it looks like Beaker from the Muppets, you know, with his head just went boop and, you know, freaked out because he got electrocuted or something. That's kind of the look that you're going for at the top of the mast. And as long as it's buried, the other end's buried in the soil, you're going to have good effects, especially with trees. The distance from the tree relates to the height of the mast. So you want the distance from the trunk of the tree within the distance of the height of the mast. So let's say the height of the mast is one meter. Then you want that mast put in the ground within one meter of the trunk of the tree or plant. Does that make sense? Yeah, that's all useful. And I'm going to bring it up. And I hate to do it in the middle of your thought there, but direction of the spiral. Now, in my heart of hearts, I know absolutely that the direction of a spiral matters. People like Fortune and others have reconfirmed this. The idea One of the ideas he expressed to me in meditation is when you want to disconnect, you would meditate with a counterclockwise spiral heading in that direction. If you want to connect, it would go in the opposite direction, going clockwise as one example. And everybody's seen the so-called Indian petroglyphs where the spirals go both directions, which I think has to do with seasons and the sun. But do you think it matters which way the spiral is going? Great question. And I I do think it matters, maybe not as much as other things, but I generally go counterclockwise. And the reason why that, and, and that's counterclockwise as you're looking down towards the ground. So I, I do that based on the Tibetan rites. I do that based on the whirling dervishes. They're spinning counterclockwise. And I also do that based on the idea that our whole civilization is upside down. So clockwise has to be wrong. It's got to be counterclockwise. So so the idea of counterclockwise, if you're looking down on your spiral and it's counterclockwise, to me, that would, the occult meaning would be what I'm attempting to do here is pull energy down from above. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. That's right. Okay. And that's generally the idea. So I think it works both ways, Crow. And I just to be honest with you on that, there's energies that come from the earth that go into the atmosphere, but it's mostly happening from the atmosphere into the earth. So are you are you of a mind that if you just have that, like say we're just doing, most people are going to be growing tomatoes or something. So we are, we've already learned that a smaller gauge wire, a higher number, but a smaller, more fine wire, naked copper would be used. You've got a, I don't know, six inches or whatever stabbed into the ground. And then you have that other end going up beyond the spiral into the air. Do you think it improves things to wrap like four, five, six, seven little straight filaments at the top? You mean like, okay, so let's say I have one wire that's in the ground. It's wrapped counterclockwise. It goes up and then I wrap other wires to it at the top. So if I like make my fingers, if I hold my fingers straight up, that's what the wires, you know, connect more wires. So it just looks like fingers Uh pointed straight up. Do you think that's an improvement? I do that personally just for fun. Is it an improvement? It's different. It's good question. I mean, we don't know the answer to it. Just a straight copper mast with one wire going up and let's say your tree is four feet tall. It's a bush or something. So you're growing bushes and let's say you're growing a Hascat bushes, which we grow here. And, you know, let's, so let's say it sticks in the foot, uh, uh, sticks in the ground, one foot, that's five feet total length. So four foot's out of the ground and you just have a single spiral around that works just fine. But, uh, you know, I like to, to get into the art of it. So I, I've been doing what you're saying. I've been putting out 
six antennas off the top of one mast just to see if it works better. It's it. I like it. I like what it's doing. I like the feel of it. I like the art of it too. So I do both, but I do play around with what, what you're describing, which is having like multiple antennas off of one mast. You know, it gets me thinking everyone's familiar with the bonsais. Most people are enchanted by how they make bonsais. But if you watch how the masters do it, they often wrap the branches of the bonsai in copper to shape them and form them, which got me thinking, what if you got a heavier gauge for a tree and you sunk however deep you need to go for the size of your tree, a foot or two or whatever it is, but then you wrapped the tree trunk loosely in the copper? Have you done anything like that? Yes. And and that there's something to be said for that. Now, I have also seen just with wrapping like cuttings of, you know, let's say I'm out there trimming trees and I take the cuttings in and I wrap those with electroculture and stick them in the ground that they that the tree is still alive, that it comes back, that it, the sucker actually roots and grows, which is totally crazy because that usually doesn't happen even with trees like mulberries or sea buckthorns that sucker pretty well. If you just stick them in the ground, they don't usually don't make it. You have to kind of culture them along to get them to root. You need antifungal elements there to keep them from, from dying. But this electroculture will work. So, well, good idea is to take a, a tree that's sick and wrap it in wire like that. And I recommend that. We just did that at a friend's place the other day. I, I was on the phone with them, but they did that. And, uh, and I think it's a good strategy and there's something to it. So you used a heavier gauge probably because you're so a thicker wire because uh, it's, it's a, tree. a tree and you're probably going into the ground with the tail end, you know, a foot or two. Right. Exactly. And and by the way, it's okay to sometimes, and I have a, a like a thin shovel that allows me to dig a hole real deep without disturbing too much of the roots. You know, you don't want a real thick shovel. You want a thin shovel. And sometimes when you're dealing with trees, you have to do that because you have to get deep enough that the electroculture mast is really stable there and is in a foot or two feet. So, you know, feel free to do that. That's okay to do that. But I wouldn't use a regular shovel because you could disturb the, the root mass. So I know Jason's probably going to want to get into this, but to me, I think we should express just so people know, if I had to venture just a percentage guess on what I've seen from people covering what they've done, I would estimate that the improvement or the yield for things you can eat is 50 to hundred percent better, if not more. And another thing I would mention, well, let, let me get Jason. Jason, do you want to, I know you and Rose are growing things. I don't know if you've tried this, but do you want to get in on this? Well, my only question, because we haven't tried anything yet is what was the most amazing thing you've seen happen as a result of this technique? Okay. Two things. One is, is that just a branch, like, so I'm, I'm taking a, a, you know, what they call scions, right? So cuttings from apple trees, for example, that will actually root and start growing with the proper wire around it. So I'm using it just as a, you know, just as a piece of wood, but it actually comes to life. That's an amazing thing to see. That's also happened with grape branches as well. I really like grape branches actually as a, as a uh, centerpiece for the electroculture windings. Now, the other thing that's I've noticed this year, because I've done now at this point, I've probably got, I don't know, two or 300 of these things out there on various trees and various locations at various farms. And I will say this, this, there's, it seems to be this thing about the stipule, which I kind of jumped ahead early in the call on that, but let me just rephrase what that is. There's a gland in the armpit when a, when a tree or a branch is, or a tree branch starts to develop in the armpit there of the tree or even the plant, there's a gland. And that gland, for example, in the cannabis plant will put out two little feelers. There'll be almost like, you know, grape grapes put out those little spiral things that catch stuff and they, they use that to climb. And you'll see that, for example, with Rubinia pseudoacacia, the black locust tree also puts out two needles right there in the gland in the armpit. So that's telling me it's under the influence of the planet Venus. Now, because it's copper, that's my suspicion. It, it really works bit good on those kind of plants. And, wow. and I've seen that, like I've got a cannabis plant this year. I'm not a cannabis grower. I'm not, you know, it's just, I'm in Canada. I'm just, you know, it's just for fun. A lot of it I use actually, I use cannabis leaf tea or hemp leaf tea to spray onto my trees. I use it as a major part of my compost tea. But anyway, it's just for fun. And a friend of mine had seeds years ago. So I have a bunch of the seeds here. So I was like, oh, let's try it out. This thing within two months, it hit the roof of the greenhouse, hitting the roof right now. I don't know what to do. I think I'm going to have to just pull the whole thing out of the greenhouse within two months. 
So two months from the day I planted the seed to hit the roof of the greenhouse. That's alarming. I have to say, I've never seen that. Well, we've got to clue people in because you brushed over a couple things. So as we have talked about before, each plant uh, in the older days, whenever they were, was associated with a luminary, like sage is typically sun, rosemary is sun, uh, something like cannabis. I've seen it broken down as a couple, like, I don't know, what is it? Saturn and Neptune, I forget, but there's a couple. But what you're saying is a plant that would be associated with Venusian or Venus energy is really benefiting because the planet Venus is associated with the metal copper. Yes, that's my that's my suspicion. Now it's not just this one plant, by the way. It's every single one of those cannabis plants in the in the greenhouse. This one's just got the best spot because it gets the most sun in the greenhouse, and it just it hit the roof literally. And that's really a trip. And a friend of mine came in, he looked at it, he's like, geez, man, what is going on here? They're also really thick. They're not spindly at all. They're really thick. I mean, they're they're probably, this is a two-month-old cannabis plant. It's a centimeter thick. Do you have others that are near it that didn't get that treatment? So I have, yeah, I have others that are near it that didn't get that treatment. For example, peppers. And and so I have some that are that are getting the electroculture and some that are not. And it's kind of what you see on the internet that, yeah, the electroculture ones are healthier and they're growing faster and they, they've got more biomass on them. So th- I just had to go this morning. I was like, I can't let these, I, there was a couple peppers and a couple tobaccos that didn't have the electroculture. And I was like, I'm not going to let them suffer anymore. So I actually put a couple <laughs> in this morning. <laughs> so, so to me, one of the big things and the underlying importance, besides the fact that this just simply works and it's actually astonishing when you see it work how well it works, is that this taps into the spiritual side and the intent side of gardening and learning the truths from nature that nature provides. To me, what we're talking about is maybe next level spiritual enhancement, uh, intent, your intent being enhanced and what you can learn because you're basically working with a thing that's invisible, but it's undeniable that it's there. Yes, agreed. I keep thinking about the secret life of plants. And if you remember in that book, the 1973 book by Bird and Tompkins, they discussed this guy Hieronymus who had figured out that copper wire, for example, can conduct energies we don't have names for. And he called those eloptic energies. Of course, Wilhelm Reich called it orgone energy. The guy I talked about, Von Rickenbach, he called them odic energies and and maybe all of the who knows how many different energies can be conducted down metal wires that are not electrical or magnetic and one of those energies could be thought energies that has definitely crossed my mind with doing the electroculture that your intent and thought is amplified because of the sacred metal involved and the spiral yeah i i think you i i think you're hitting it right on the head and this opens up a whole door you know i read I don't even know, man. It was so long. I was probably in my 20s. You know, I was reading this 20s. I was reading this thing about supposed root races, how there, I forget what it was in that version. It was like seven root races, but they were making the claim that way back in this forgotten time that you've never heard about, the color of your eyes associated with what part of society you filled. Blue eyes were the ones in charge, but I always remembered that green eyes were the people associated with growing things. And I always I always remembered it because I think it's interesting whether or not there's a here or a there to that. I, I have no idea. But, it, you know, we do have different colored eyes. It makes you wonder. But the point I would make here is the intention of what you do starts to classify off. And Jason and I were just talking about this, the idea of an egregore or a thought form. In other words, once you think a thing, it actually is real in the world. You can measure a thought, but the idea of an egregore is that that thought form, if it is given enough power, or maybe another way of saying that enough people are sharing in the thought form, it becomes independent at some level. And since we're talking about a plant, which is clearly alive, I mean, you can kind of see where I'm going here. You're, you're kind of tapping into a thing that's, I mean, I don't want to say it's conscious, but it is alive. So there's an opportunity for that kind of spiritual connection, that communication at a subtle level. I completely agree with all of that. I mean, for me, farming is really about the 
meditation and spiritual aspects of it, right? It's like, am I really growing cannabis to go sell cannabis in some, you know, city somewhere? You know, that has nothing to do with why I'm growing it. I'm just interested in the plant. Same with tobacco. Like, I'm, it's not a commercial thing. It's just a, it's a spiritual thing for sure. And when you add these components in, for example, the electroculture and also the interesting mass, you know, with uh, say five antennas coming off of it, it just adds a, a whole nother level of joy and love to the whole process of growing stuff. And then that you can use them repeatedly too. That's kind of fun. I've been at this now over a year. So I've been able to take the ones from last year and reuse them this year for new plants, especially the small stuff that we use in the sprouting environment. And I have sprouted up now about, geez, probably 50 trees using electroculture. So that's been kind of interesting to see them from the, from the sprout all the way now to their small trees. And eventually it's going to be a whole forest sprouted that way. How long have you been into this? I think if I had to guess, and I'm not the best guy to make this guess because I don't spend a lot of time surfing online, but it seems to me within the last year or something, uh, electroculture videos seem to really pick up some steam. How long have you been at this? Did you start recently or has it been a long time? It's no, it's been about it. I got the books years ago, the Crystal Flow books, which by the way, I want to make available to all membership. So I'll send those PDFs to Rose to put somewhere so you guys can, anybody can download that stuff. I downloaded those years ago, but I didn't really understand what Crystal Flow was onto until about a year ago. And that's when I started using the magnets and the, and that's, we can get into that too. Cause Christopher was, he was the founder of electroculture back in the 1920s. Obviously re he revivified probably ancient Egyptian stuff or God knows, you know, way back. Anyway, the magnet piece is also interesting. And I did set up a very complex electroculture over last winter using the magnet with the South pole, the magnet facing the South the North pole facing North and all the different little crystal flow, little spirals and everything. I had three masts in an anacacho tree. Anacacho trees are really cute trees from Texas. And and we, we were worried that the winter was going to kill it because generally the anacachos grow in the very southern part of Texas and can't handle too much cold. But this tree actually, I thought, maybe only 20 leaves on the whole bush. It's not really a tree. It's really just like a big bush. Died through the winter. I mean, it survived the winter better than almost anything else. That blew my mind. So what did you do? You added a magnet into the electroculture. How did you add the magnet in? Okay, so you what you would have, let's just say the magnet is a donut shape, okay? And so there's going to be one side of the magnet is going to be the south pole, and the other side is going to be the north pole. So you want to orient a copper pipe so that you can attach the magnet to that copper pipe just for simplicity. You don't need a copper pipe to do it. You could use wood maybe, but a copper pipe makes it stable and weather and all that. And you're going to orient the south pole of the magnet towards the south and the north pole of the magnet towards the north. And then you run your electroculture right around it, past it, through it, et cetera. So your copper wires go around that. And again, you have the, the, the piece is held stable because you're using a piece of, let's say, old plumbing pipe. You could use wood too. And I've used wood with magnets where you drill through the, you drill through the wood or you could drill through the copper pipe, and then you attach the magnet to it. Now, remember, copper is not magnetic. It's diamagnetic. So it, it doesn't officially react to a magnetic field, but of course, it reacts. I mean, everything reacts to a magnetic field, even though you don't get that you know, paramagnetic. It doesn't attract, in other words. It's, it's not doing the, you know, the, the filings don't suddenly orient towards it or whatever. Anyway, so... That was what Christoflow was onto, and eventually he patented his little device, which which is very easy to replicate. All it is is just a North Pole and South Pole magnet. Um, generally, you want to face that, so the South Pole of the magnet's facing South, and then you have your electroculture wires running around it. And if you want to run, and I've done this experiment where you run, let's say you have that whole array, and then you run a insulated wire, like a typical house wire or rubber wire, the wires you use to for, for your normal electricity, you run that into the ground, doesn't work as well as the exposed wire with the same housing or same fitting on the top with the magnet and with the, all the different spirals coming out. So that's interesting too, is that I, there's really actually no use for an insulated wire in electroculture. It just, you don't even need it. Just use the exposed copper. It's, it appears to work much better. So do you feel like we're, I mean, we must be, we're talking about, so from my point of view, 
and I don't tell me if you agree or disagree. From my point of view, there's one force in this place, in what we call the world. That force is electricity. From my point of view, magnetism would fall under the category of electromagnetism, and it could be described as the daughter of electricity. So do you feel like, first of all, do you accept that that idea? And secondarily, do you feel like the copper alone is dealing with maybe the electricity force and that when you add the magnet, you're going for a different force? I spent many years trying to figure this out. And so I'm in the Steiner camp on this, which I'd recommend that you, you dig what Steiner says on that, that particular subject. And what he says is that light is the, is the main energy. It, when you decompose light, you get electricity. Magnetism is a product of the material world itself. Of the, so, so the material reality creates magnetism. So to be clear, light is like God. The electricity is Lucifer. And magnetism is aramonic. That's Steiner. Uh, it's interesting. So what I what I clicked with was the Walter Russell descriptions, which isn't far off that. But of course, when you get into Steiner, you're going to start to get the Luciferian aramonic ideas. And the only problem with that is these terms come with baggage quite often. So yeah. the moment we say Luciferian, people are already seeing a guy <laughs> with a pitchfork and horns and <laughs> missing the point altogether. When I think the main idea when Steiner says things like that is the idea of light and the light bringer and these types of things, not necessarily a negative, bad, good connotation, but there is some of that. But I would point out that anyone who checks out Walter Russell, the whole light thing that you described, he's he's saying the same thing, that light is the light is the big deal. And underneath it or within it, you find electricity. But it's interesting, too, because when you start to combine just the naked copper and magnets, now you can start to wind things and really amplify what you're doing. But to me, it feels like we're just relearning what's possible with electroculture. I think we're relearning all the free energy technology. I mean, what I've been doing lately, Crow, is I've been scouring online to just look at for example, we know that copper is like kind of feminine, Aphrodite, Venusian, and and oh, I got a I've got a bit of a little I've got an alchemical thing for your listeners here. This has been a long meditation for me, many years, decades of researching this. I met with an alchemist friend of mine in Europe when I was there, you know, on that Egyptian trip, and he took me aside and said, "I got to I got to tell you something, and it's really important." So I'm going to share it with all your listeners right now, and it has really corrected in my mind one of the big mistakes in all of alchemy and a, and a misdirect because alchemy is loaded with misdirects. And I think as we're approaching this crazy moment that we're getting closer towards whatever that is, the incarnation of Armon or Steiner would say, or whatever's coming, we're going to find out everything. And one of these things is what I'm about to tell you. And that is the traditional or historical view that Jupiter is associated with tin is false. Oh, wow. That's a it's big false. statement. That's yeah, a big that's statement. A, that's, that's a, a big, big statement. statement. Yep. And so what I'm going to say is, and this is this has been you know on my heart and on my mind for a long time, and, and I did, never wanted to say it until I really got confirmation from somebody completely outside of my own reality, and I got that when I was in Europe. It's, it's zinc. Zinc is associated with Jupiter. Wow. And so, yep. And so then, see, this has really got me oriented to looking at the at building up the tension between zinc and copper, which is the basis of all batteries and all the electrical phenomenon that we you know are currently that surrounds us all today and so using the earth for example as a battery so just getting zinc into the earth on one electrode and, and copper into the earth on, on another electrode and then connecting them together and seeing if you can create a voltage potential just in the earth itself is a legit phenomenon and of course you could you could amplify it by creating a salt water bath or using a lemon or something else but it's always the zinc electrode on one side and the copper electrode on the other so that's an aspect of electroculture i've been playing with is just trying to create some dynamic tension between the zinc and copper in the soil of the plant itself so i can hear the people who work with alchemical ideas their minds blowing up right now um, <laughs> okay. i did, i did a quick look up uh, the atomic number is 30. The abbreviation for people who don't know is ZN. Um, but that's that's a big statement. Um, but as you get down uh, in the initial scan I'm doing here, zinc is refined into ore by roasting and the extraction is done using electricity. And they call it electro-troning. 
Trowning. I don't know what mm-hmm. that word is. Um, but that is a huge statement because as far as I know, the majority of people uh, who deal with the metal idea of the planets uh, have all come up thinking tin. That's a hell of a that's a hell of a thing to consider. So, yeah, I want to just throw that in the in the mix. It's been heavy on my heart for a long time. When I got that confirmation from my friend, who's a really, really astute alchemist, you know, one of the best alchemists in the world that I know personally. And when he said that to me, I was like, oh, man, oh, man. You know, it was just that it was like, I got to come. I got to come clean on, on this one. Well, I, <laughs> and, I guess I, I would be of a mind that part. And, and I don't know, sir, this is what I accept is probably logically correct from all the things that I've been exposed to is lead is like at one end and gold is like at the other end. But between lead and gold, uh, each metal can become the next in line. And I wonder how zinc would play out in that. Although what I have just said is so naive and simplistic, um, but it's that idea. And the reason I'm I'm offering it out is because that could probably go into people trying to make heads or tails of what you just said. Yep. I I think about it that way. It's in, you know, that on one end is lead and the other end is gold. And I I don't discount lead by the way. And right here, right next to me, as a matter of fact, I went to a stone dealer here in Ontario before I went to Egypt and I picked up lead ore from the region here in Ontario. I have it in my hand right now. It's it's like a turquoise blue. It's phenomenal material to you know to touch and hold. So as much as we discount lead and you know demonize it, lead is an amazing metal. It's a very powerful spiritual phenomenon in the earth, and its association with Saturn. Sure, there's terrible things about Saturn, but there's also very important things about Saturn. The structuring of roots, for example, when the moon's in opposition to Saturn. So if you have the full moon, especially in opposition to Saturn, which usually happens once or twice a year in the springtime, that's when you spray your biodynamic preps, your your 500, you know, the one that causes, forces the rooting to occur and the structure and builds the structure. So, you know, Saturnian influences are not all bad. Steiner was definitely kind of against Saturnian influences, but he, in, in certain ways he wasn't because the biodynamic farming way, the most important prep, which is 500, which is the cow manure and the horns, that you spray that when the moon and Saturn are in opposition to each other so that the, the Saturnian element drives structure into the roots. So it's interesting because if I remember correctly, like you're, you're pointing out, and, and what I have been told is we don't care for lead and Saturnian ideas because it's a cold taskmaster, you know? It's going to wrap you hard on the knuckles with a steel rod till you get it right. Um, is one of the ways I've heard it described. But if I'm not mistaken, the primary planetary influence of cannabis is Saturn. I think some people mark two planetary influence or luminary influences. But often what you see for cannabis is things like Saturn is a malignant planet. So right out of the gate, they're they're labeling it negative. They claim that it's diurnal. They claim that it's masculine, extremely cold, and friendly to Mars. And then they go on to say things like it's an enemy to all the rest of the planets. So those are the typical things that we hear said about Saturn. But I have also been told by people who are farther much along, way further along than I am, that if I was as spiritually up the ladder as I could be, then everything Saturnian would be joyful to me. So there's that idea. I see both sides of it, and it's it's probably just our perspective. I mean, we're so inundated with Saturnian conspiracies that yep. we're obviously our perspective skewed. And in another time and place, when we get out of this age and we get into a much brighter and higher place, the Saturnian energy would be much friendlier, I suspect, in the way we interpret it. So getting back to the electroculture, it, it occurs to me that going out to buy copper wire is probably pretty expensive these days. Um, have you figured out other ways to acquire uh, the parts you need? Great question. Okay, so I do want to make a couple of recommendations. One is some people are very skilled at scrapping metal. I have a friend of mine in Iceland. He's very skilled at scrapping metal. He scraps metal all over that island and, and also wood debris. And he basically gets all of his materials that he makes organite. He gets it all for free from stuff that's being thrown away at job sites. So a good place to go look is old construction job sites and see what they're throwing away. 
and you might get real lucky with good amounts of copper, which you can strip the rubber seal and the plastic seal off the wire if you want and get, and you know, strip the copper bare. Another really good strategy is to go get that six gauge wire I've been talking about from your local hardware store and just unwind it by hand because I think it's six strands. I'm pretty sure it might be eight, but I think it's six. And the actual size is actually a little bit bigger than the 16 gauge copper. It's more like a 14 gauge or 12 gauge. So it's really nice to work with. It's got a significant volume on it. When you strip it out of the, remember the six gauges, many wires, about six of them all wound together. So you're going to unwind them out. Now that goes for about a dollar a foot. The U.S. dollar a foot oh, wow. for that kind of copper. So, so, so that's pricey for a lot of us. It's pricey, but I mean, you could go like I went the other day. I got twelve feet, which cost me Canadian was about you know eighteen dollars or something like that, and it made a lot. I was able to make a lot out of. It. I just finished it off last night, actually. All right, so we're coming up to the top of the hour, but I guess I would mention anyone you know if you went to like junkyards, old motors laying around, you could unwind a hell of a lot of copper out of some of those old old motors. But we're almost to the top of the hour. Dave, By the way, I I strip out all all the pumps, every single dynamo. I just stripped out one out of a, an old um, washing machine and dryer. I stripped the dynamo out so to get that copper. So I really strongly recommend that. That's another good thing. You reminded me of that. Thanks for that, bro. Right. So David's going to offer up some PDFs, which if I followed you, it's directly to do with electroculture, right? Correct. Your original books. So Rose is going to get those. We're going to figure out a way to link them to people. And is there diagrams in those PDFs? Yes, there's diagrams, patents, detailed instructions. You talked about suspending, for example, copper wire over the top. Uh, you know, so you create a mass and you put, pull it over the top of a row of peas or something and then bring it down to the ground. All of those things are in those books, all that stuff. Perfect. Because some of the diagrams I have seen even kind of show the influence range of the invisible force, which is really helpful to get you to think about it. But uh, with that, we'll get the links to everyone. David, can you tell people how they can contact you if you are taking direct contacts? This is our one, keep in mind and where they can find your work. Okay, great. You can always find me on Telegram. Telegram is my favorite means of communication. And, and it's an art to me, you know, to put out like news via memes and, and fun little vignettes and little short videos and that kind of a thing. So it's David Avocado Wolf on Telegram. So at David Avocado Wolf on Telegram. You could always find me easily on Twitter, like David Wolf. You know, I, Twitter's an abomination, but it's I still use it just because I've survived on that platform for like 15 years. It's really the worst ever, but it, it is kind of fun every now and then. And um, you can always find me at davidwolf.com, W-O-L-F-E.com. Okay, Jason, anything you want to get in before I wrap it up? So I take it this is extremely effective, and uh, this is the way people should be going with their growing, if at all possible. Yes, for sure. And it's, again, you're taking advantage of things that are often being thrown away. And another thing I would point to is this is the elevated way. In other words, if there is, I don't like the word, but if we are evolving into a new era here, this would be akin to stepping into more subtle energies. Everybody knows what I accept. Um, This is the age of energy. Everybody knows that I accept that that energy is electricity. So here on a spiritual level, you begin to subtly interact with a living thing called a plant or the plant kingdom. Anyways, that is our one of episode 513. Uh, when you're logged in as a member, look for the links for all the PDFs that David has mentioned. The first hour is free to everybody at crow777radio.com. That is C-R-R-O-W-777radio.com. Members know to log in for the full episode, forums, comments, free PDFs, things like that. And also free access to the two-hour film, Shoot the Moon, which covers all my telescope work. Uh, It's won a number of awards at this point. With that, we're going to prep up and come back to record Hour 2, which will be available to members at the website. And I would like to wish each and every one of you a happy, healthy, and higher-minded new era. There it is, man. Cheers.
Glory. <laughs>